Last week we talked about why we're called the river, right? Um, John 7, 38. Jesus said you'd have rivers of living water flowing out of you. That the end goal, if somebody walks through those doors and has never heard the name of Jesus, which is extremely common in our society, if you, um, if you are a Christian and you don't know, if, if all you do is run around with other Christians, can I do that? Does everybody know what that means? Right? Oh, it means shame on you. <laughs> all right. There was a kid that didn't know what that meant. Right? Um, that if, if they come in those doors, they've never heard the name of Jesus, our job, our role as a church is to get them from point A, where they know nothing about Jesus, all the way to point Z, where they are so close to Christ that the Holy Spirit just flows out of them naturally. That they just follow the voice of God as if it's just like breathing. And so that's why we're called the river, is that our in spiritual products, we want people just to naturally flow with where God's leading them, what God's calling them to do. And so we have a tagline at the river. I got any river rats that can... I just called you guys river rats, river people. Grandview people, just, just, just bear with me for a minute. Um, so what's, what's the tagline? What's the three words? Transform. Re, you guys forgot? Did COVID erase the memory or what? Transform, renew, pursue, right? So this morning we're going to talk about that tagline. We're going we're gonna to find that tagline in John, or we're going to find this in John chapter 5. If you got your Bibles or your devices, you can turn to John chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. We're just going to read the whole story. Can we like go Sunday school style? I don't have a flannel graph board up here, but can we just, some of you don't even know what that is. Bless your little hearts. All right, John chapter 5, verse 1 through 14. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Beth Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is the fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. All right. So Jesus goes into this pool of Bethesda during one of the festivals, during one of the feasts. And if there's one thing that we know about Jewish culture, 
They like to party. And they party well, right? They party well, like week-long parties, week-long festivals. And so here's another festival. And Jesus is going to Jerusalem at the Sheep Gate. Now, why, why is he there? Well, scholars tell us that the Sheep Gate, it's, it's believed that Mary, his mother, her parents lived near the Sheep Gate. And so during these festivals, typically what you would do is you would go back to your family. And so it's very possible that Jesus is going back to see his grandparents. And along the way, he goes to the pool, he got, cuts through the pool of Bethesda, which is next to the sheep gate. Because Jesus is always looking for an opportunity to minister to someone. I wonder if we're the same way, or do we just go through our days thinking, okay, I'll just, just get me through the day, just get me through the day, just get me through the day, if I can just, okay, okay, it, it, oh my gosh, it's only one o'clock. I thought it was quitting time already, right? Just, oh. Do you ever notice the more you look at the clock, the slower it goes? Not cool, right? And so, Jesus, how selfish are we? Just get me through my day. Do you know how faster your day would go if you thought, who can I bless, who can I bless, who can I bless? I haven't blessed anybody for a half hour. I need to get out of my cubicle, or I need to go over here to this job site, and I, and I just need to find somebody to compliment. I just need to find somebody. Hey, man, I like your work boots. Where'd you get those? Right? I mean, what if you spent your day not only working, but finding people to bless, going out of your way? This is what Jesus did. It's very likely that during this festival, he's going back to his grandparents' house with his mother, with his disciples, and he says, you know what? On the way there, we're going to cut through here because I'm looking for an opportunity to minister. I'm looking for an opportunity to be a blessing, right? That's our job. What, what, the word gospel, we carry this thing called the gospel. Who knows what the gospel means? The good, man, you guys are asleep. All right. Okay, all right, time out just short of getting up and doing jumping jacks, because I know some of us will only be able to do it in our minds. Here's what I'm going to ask. I need you to wake up. All right? This is, the this is the halftime locker room talk. All right? Wake up. I need you working with me. We good? Yeah. All right. Okay. All right. So, he, he goes into the pool of, of Bethesda. Now, the pool is next to the sheep gate, as John points out. And there's this, there's this Jewish festival going on. And the, the word pool is a really big Greek word, kalambrathia, and it actually means pool of the wealthy. Well, this is interesting. Because you got a bunch of lame people who are, who are blind, paralyzed, homeless, cannot care for themselves, laying around the pool, and yet, Calambrathia, the pool of the wealthy. Now, the, the pool of Bethesda was, was thought to, never, to not even exist until it was discovered in 1888. And now you can go and you can visit the pool of Bethesda, and it is exactly what is described here. Because a columbrathia would have marble flooring. It would have fres frescas or, or tile designs in the wall. It would have huge colonnades supporting the roof. And the Pool of Bethesda actually had a lower level and an upper level. The lower level 
the lower level was 55 feet was 55 feet in diameter and about 13 feet deep. The upper level pool was 60 feet in diameter, and I don't know how deep it was. But, okay, and you had, it was literally built for the wealthy. But like in most societies, what, those who are wealthy build things, they get tired of living there, and they begin to move on, don't they, right? I mean, we see that in our own cities. We see that... It, it, Humanity hasn't changed that much. And so the wealthy have moved on. But this is a beautiful pool. This is a, a beautiful public kind of pool resting place. It's, it's made of marble and huge colonnades and, and tile designs in the walls. And so as they pick up and move into the city and, and they begin to design other pools and other things to spend their money on, they want something different, they want something new. Human nature hasn't changed. I want something more. They move on. The homeless and the paralyzed and the lame who have no place to go take over the pool, right? And so the Bible says that they are there. And it's exactly, the archaeological dig and find is exactly what John describes to the T. And so there's a great number of, of blind and lame who are here and Jesus does something at this pool, going out of his way to find ministry. He finds a man who's been laying there for 38 years. Now, it's very possible that if, the, if scholars and, and archaeologists and stuff are right, and Jesus' grandparents lived near this pool, that Jesus probably has been here before. And he sees a man that's been laying there for 38 years. Now, how old is Jesus? Oh, he's about 32-ish, ish, right? Somewhere between 30 and 33. And he's seen this man laying here. In fact, the Bible even tells us, look at what, look at what it says uh, in verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked them, do you want to get well? This is what we all, this is what Jesus asked of all of us. Do you want to get well? Or do you want to stay in your condition? All of us, listen, I don't know if you know this, but humanity is bleeding out. Has anybody noticed how sick humanity is? And Jesus is asking humanity, you want to get well or not? You want to stay on your mat? Or do you want to get better? Because we can all just lay around on our mat and say, what was me? Because what was his response? His response said, I ain't got nobody to get me in the water. Nobody's going to help me. Nobody's going to help me. Jesus said, I don't care if anybody else wants to help you. Do you want to get well? Quit blaming other people for your problems. Suck it up, buttercup. You made your bed. You're either going to sleep in it or you're going to get out of it. One of the two. Right? So Jesus says, listen, you want to get well. Do you want to get better? There are all kinds of people around us that want to get better, but they don't know how. Their life has, has sunk. They thought that when they were young and they got out of college and they got their first job, baby, we're going to climb the corporate ladder, we're going to make the money, and we're going to have a beach house or, or a cabin, and we're going to have all of these things. And, we're, and a sudden life hits, and they find themselves laying next to the pool. You and I have a responsibility to go to them and say, do you want to get well? Do you want to get better? Do you want to continue to be in the position that you're in, or do you want God to come into your life and change you radically, so much so that people want to know, how did you change? 
Because Jesus calls us to change. It's pretty sad that the body of Christ in the world is the one group of people that don't want change, and yet our gospel says, you can change. We change every day. We change all the time. The Holy Spirit speaks to me, and I move. So why are we so resistant to it? Supposedly, we believe in change. Jesus says, you can change. You can be different. You can get off of your mat. You don't have to be this way. And the man says, nobody's going to help me. Nobody's going to help me. There's no help. What is he? Well, not only is he blaming everybody, but you know what else he is? He's hopeless. He has no hope. None. How many of you work around hopeless people? Let me see your hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Who's their Jesus? Who's their Jesus? Uh, nobody else raised your hand, so nobody else. Okay, thanks, Oz. Oz got it. Right? You're their Jesus. And what did Jesus do? Jesus said, well, I'm going here, but I'm intentionally going through the pool of Bethesda because there are people who need me. And so he walked in to transform and change their life. That's what he's calling us to do. Guys, he says, quit, quit sitting around. The world is going to hell in a handbasket if we're not there already. And he says, it's time to change. It's time to be different. It's time to bring hope to a lost and dying world. Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. Now, it's interesting because in Greek mythology, there was a well, there was a well here for Asclepios, which is the Greek god of healing. So not only did you have the Jewish belief that an angel come and stirred the waters, but in Greek mythology, this was a key place, and they later, in the third century, um, B.C. Had a, had a small temple for Asclepios, the Greek god of healing, here as well. And Jesus almost just says, you know what? I don't care what Greek mythology says. I don't care what the Jewish rituals are. I'm the true water of life, and I'm bringing healing. Do you want it or not? And so what's he do? Jesus says, then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. This is the moment of transformation. This is where he's transformed. Our job is to walk into somebody's life where they're at, as Jesus did, to come into the pool of their life and give them hope and say, I'm God, the water of life if you want it. Are you ready to pick up your mat and find hope? You have, you have the hope of eternity in you, and our job is to shell it out, baby. You're a hope dealer. <laughs> like, if you can't talk about it openly on the job, be like, hey, man, come out and meet me in the car in the parking lot afterwards. I'm going to deal you a little hope. <laughs> I mean, that's your job. Meet me in the alley. I don't care. You're a hope dealer. Deal it. And so, gee, Anyway, all right. You're a hope dealer. 
Your job is to deal hope. Our job is to get into people's lives and begin to transform them as Jesus transformed this man's life. Whose life have you transformed? If, if, you, if you can't remember the last time you got into somebody's life and transformed it, are you living the gospel? It is, thank you. When's the last time you transformed somebody's life with the gospel? Do you realize that Facebook is the biggest country in the world? Who's, who's the missionaries on Facebook? Or are we too busy spreading conspiracy theories? You want to be a laughingstock to the world? Be a Christian believing in conspiracy theories and just spread it all over Facebook. If we spend more time spreading conspiracy theories than we do the gospel, it's time for a spiritual checkup. If you spend more time on social media talking about the government than you do the gospel, it's time for a spiritual checkup. If you spend more time on social media talking about anything other than the gospel, guilty as charged, it's time for a spiritual checkup. I'll take it a step further. In life, if you spend more time talking about anything else than the gospel, it's time for a spiritual checkup. You have the power of the universe at our disposal, and yet we want to talk about everything else around us. And the Bible says this world is fleeting and fading. Why are we talking about junk that's old? I don't go to my boys. When I'm cleaning out the garage and I get into their big old toy bins, I don't, get in, I don't go pull out their old toys that are faded and nasty and beat up. I don't go, guys, let's talk about this toy. It's old. It's fading. It's no good. But we do that with this world all the time, and this world is old and nasty and fading. What do I do? I say, man, I can't wait for you guys. I can't wait till you get up and, and, and grow up and get married. And I talk about the future with them because it, provi- it brings hope. Our jobs as Christians is to talk about the future and bring hope and not the old, fading, nasty world. All right, well, I stepped all over your toes. It's okay. I, if I broke them, God will heal them. All right? So the first thing is Jesus gets into this guy's life, and he transforms it. He transforms his life. At once the man was cured, and he picked up his mat and walked. And if we go down to verse 11, he's had this interaction with the religious folk. <laughs> you know the religious folk, you can't do that. It's a Sabbath. You can't, be do- you can't be talking about that. You can't be performing miracles on the Sabbath. You can't. You ever notice that religious people are about rules and regulations? Have you ever noticed that? Religion says you, what you can and can't do. Relationship says, I want to and I get to. I have the opportunity to. Right? And so the religious leaders are all about, you can't, who did this? Because religion seeks to accuse and to blame and to show guilt and to shame you. Right? Let me, let me just talk to parents in the room for a minute. It's not the way we did it in my day. Well, guess what? The truth hasn't changed. The gospel hasn't changed. But the methods have. And here's what happens when we get on, and I, and I hate it. When I see social media, well, back in my day, like, like I saw one the other day, right? It showed a cassette tape and a pencil. And I said, if you know what these are, it's time to take your ibuprofen for your back. <laughs> like, if you, if you know how the cassette tape and the pencil go together, you need to be taking ibuprofen for your back. You're that old, right? Or, 
Well, back in my day, I remember this, right? The NES. Here we go, Will. You ready? So the NES. You couldn't, like, save anything. When it, when it, it I'd be in the middle of, like, Super Mario, and Mom would be like, Mom, dinner's ready. But I'm, I'm beating Bowser right now. Don't stop it. I can't come down for dinner right now. And then she'd make me turn it off, and I'd just, just, just lose everything. Right? Some of you are laughing with me. You understand. Some of you are just laughing to humor me because I know, because there's no way you know what I'm talking about. But, right? I lost my train of thought again. All right. And so there was this whole thing where you, like, lost the video. Like, you lost it in that moment. And there's just this whole issue with back in my day, you couldn't save your video game, but today you can, it saves automatically and blah, 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 blah. Back in my day, back in my day, what you're telling them is, is you're not as good as. You don't understand. You're not good enough to get it. You would never be good enough to play this video game. You'd never be good enough to... How demoralizing is that? How insulting is that? Right? That's religion. That's religion. And so they ask him, they say, well, who, who did this? And he goes, I don't know. All he said was, you're well, pick up your mat and walk. This is renew. His hope is renewed. And we get in, we transform their life as Jesus did, and then he walks away with his mat and it's renewed. He's renew- his hope is renewed. When you transform somebody's life, hope is renewed. The outlook of their day is renewed. Their week is renewed. Their life is renewed. They have a different, I don't know what happened. I can't explain it to you, but my life is different now. My life has changed. My hope is renewed. That's our job, is to go in to transform lives, to renew hope. And then, and then in verse 14, we find him where? Where is he? He's in the temple, meaning he's now pursuing God. His life has been transformed. His hope has been renewed. He's like, I got to get to temple or church. I got to get with believers because this thing has revolutionized my life. I want to know more. I need to know more. I've got to find out more. I think it's interesting. I believe it's in Acts chapter 3 where it talks about, or the end of chapter 2, where it talks about the new believers getting together. And when it talks about the new believers getting together and studying the Word, and it says that they studied it daily, the Greek language implies, are you ready for this? The Greek language implies addiction that you would talk about with a druggie who's got to get their next hit. They were addicted to Scripture. It's all they talked about. It's all they wanted to understand. When am I going to get my next hit of Jesus? When am I going to get my next hit of the Holy Ghost? When am I going to get my next hit? The Greek in Acts chapter 2 or, or first part of chapter 3 strongly implies that the original converts to Christianity had an addiction. Can we say that? 
Can we say to our coworker, is this making you feel really uncomfortable? I hope so. Can we say to our, co- can we say to our coworkers, can we say, hey, I've got an addiction problem. You want some? I'll give you a hit. Let me give you a Jesus line. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Amen. Didn't know you were going to come to church and talk about drugs this morning, did you? I didn't know I was going to talk about drugs either. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. There's a Jesus line. You need to be dealing this stuff. And so his life was transformed. His hope was renewed. And where do we find him? We find him pursuing Jesus. Why are you here this morning anyway? I want to go see what the preacher says. Or do you want, are you here, I think, most of us are here to pursue Jesus. We are here to pursue Jesus. Have you ever seen, listen, the real, I, let me understand. Some of you know, know me, right? So like, I've got family members that were drug dealers and they're in Pendleton, they were in Pendleton Penitentiary and some big time stuff that went on in my family with my cousins and, and I can tell you all they think about is when's the next hit? When's the next sale? When's the next deal? When's the next this? When's the next that? I wonder if we have that same thought. Because if I, if I look at the language in the Greek in Acts, it says there's an addiction, there's a pursuit. Have you ever seen a drug dealer go, I don't need any meth today. I don't need any heroin or whatever the street language is. I don't know anymore. But, like, have you ever seen a druggie go, Nah, no thanks. I'm just going to go over here and sniff a line of crushed up Smarties. It's, it's the same. Right? That burns your nose really bad, by the way. Don't do that. <laughs> but seriously, when, when, when was the last time you saw a Christian who says, I believe in Jesus, and I believe Jesus is the hope and the cure for the world? When's the last time you saw a Christian go, man, I gotta talk, let's, just get together, let's just go out to eat and talk about Jesus. Can we just go talk about Jesus? That's the problem with the church today. Everybody wants to talk about Sports Center, and everybody wants to talk about the government, and everybody wants to talk about everything else that as soon as a pandemic hits goes away. Did Jesus go anywhere? No. You know what a pandemic does? A pandemic shows you whether or not your values are a liability or an asset. If my values, if I value sports over Jesus, I'm going to go through withdrawal. I'm going to go through depression because I can't play. I'm going to have all kinds of issues. And my value of sports now has become a liability. But if I value Jesus, and if I value love, hope, patience, drawing closer to God, then you just give me three months to draw closer to Jesus. Asset, liability. A pandemic will show you whether or not your values are a liability or an asset. Are you talking about that with other Christians? Are you saying, hey, this week I read in my word this. Hey, this week I was in prayer and God spoke this to me. Are you having those conversations? 
Or is it more about, you know, so I wish they really would have turned the temperature down at church today because it's really hot. I wish, did you see, did you see what, did you see, if you spend more time talking about physical temporal things than you do the gospel, is it a sign that you're having some spiritual cardiac arrest? Because our job is to come into people's life, as Jesus did at the Pool of Bethesda, to transform, to renew, and begin to pursue. That's our job. That's our responsibility. That's what we're supposed to do. And if we're all going about transforming people's lives, renewing their hope, and showing them how to pursue God, right, the river will begin to flow out of them naturally. It's a whole process. You're like, man, I went to church this morning and the preacher broke my toes and he talked about drugs <laughs> and all sorts of craziness. And they're going to be like, what church do you go to? And you're like, well, I don't know. You just, just come. Just hear them. Right. We go to Grandview and a river and we just love each other and we're two different, but we just love each other and it's all about Jesus. So just come because we want you to know this Jesus as well. Amen. Right? That's what we're supposed to do. I mean, stop and think about it, really. You guys can come on up as I get ready and close. You can just play in the background. But think about this as I get ready and close. Don't meet. Don't get together. Don't do all of this stuff, right? And then God says, yeah, I'm going to bring two separate groups of people together while humanity and the world says separate. That was your amen moment. You guys are really asleep today, aren't you? I mean, seriously, think about what God is doing right now in the middle of a pandemic. Honestly, you are, you are in the middle of a miracle and a pandemic. You should be praising God. That was your chance to hoop and holler. Look, I have a Pentecostal charismatic background, so I really appreciate the hooping and the hollering. Okay? That was... Yeah, it was, you know, thank you, all right? I'm not about all the craziness, but I appreciate the hooping and the hollering. Um, so let's stand up this morning, and if you're here this morning, and you just need dealt some hope, as we close out in the song, I want to invite you to do one of two things. You can, you can come up here, and we want to pray with you, and I want to pray with you, or I'll pray with you back by the doors. But I believe, I believe that as a church, we're going to go out of these doors and we're going to transform somebody's life. Maybe that looks like paying for their meal. Maybe that looks like helping them with a the utility bill. Maybe that looks like help driving them to the doctor and taking that time to minister and speak to them. And then we're going to share the good news, share the gospel, renew their hope, and then begin to walk with them and help them pursue God. Amen? Amen. Amen.